up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. My name is Craig Toth, your host for Minor League News and Brews, talking about everything around the Pirates Minor League system and wrapping it up with a beer review at the end of the show. As promised, this week I am going to be talking all about the Rule 5 Draft. As we know at this point, two players from the Pirates were added to the 40-man roster to protect them from being selected in the Rule 5 draft here in a couple weeks during the winter meetings. The first player, not really a big surprise. The second one wasn't either, but the first one was someone everyone had kind of listed as a lock to be protected one Braxton Ashcraft as we know go back and listen to the old episodes the ones that haven't and haven't heard this probably ad nauseum or read it all over the place Ashcraft had Tommy John surgery in July of 2021 returned this year, made his way up from Bradenton to Greensboro, the whole way to Altoona, uh, pitched well, obviously, in, in the first two stops. But the biggest thing was his performance in Altoona, 20 innings pitched, a 1.35 ERA, a 0.950 whip, He is listed as number 12 on the MLB pipeline. The biggest thing for him is his fastball. Fastball towards the end of the season, really good to see coming back from the Tommy John surgery, was sitting around 95 to 97 miles per hour. As I talked about previously, kind of fits as a guy who could be stashed in a team's bullpen uh, for the entire season, not really looking for a ton of innings, gave examples of players that the Pirates have done that with as well. So, I mean, really kind of a slam dunk to be protected. Uh, The second player, Sung Che Chang, I had him listed as kind of like a maybe. Him and Jace Bowen, if they protected him, you know, wouldn't surprise me if they didn't protect him. Wouldn't surprise me. Didn't see him as a lock or a must protect. But more importantly, in the past, when Ben Sherrington has protected players, uh, you can even look to last season with a Jared Triolo you can see that he is going to give those players a shot at some point in time. The only exceptions really would have been during the first season when Leover Pagero was protected, did get the smallest cup of coffee in the majors. But prior to that, we had seen, you know, Rodolfo Castro, brought up straight from double A, seen Jack Sawinski brought straight up from from double A, and even Jared Triolo. I remember last year when this was being discussed, Triolo wasn't really a name that was, I mean, put down as either a lock or even a possibility by some. 
But we did see by the end of the season, Jared Triolo, even with the handmade injury kind of slowing his start to the season, by the end of the year, he was up with the big league club. Not sure if if Chang is going to fall into that category, but definitely shows that he has something that the big league club, Ben Charrington specifically, along with John Baker, kind of see as, you know, somebody who could be an asset to the major league ball club. Talked with Chris about this on the most recent episode of Bucks in the Basement, dropped on Wednesday. Go back and listen to that. Briefly about the the logjam that is kind of being created within the middle infield. Uh, Gary Morgan, my good friend, co-editor over at Inside the Bucks Basement, wrote a, a real good article about prospects and, you know, maybe not getting too attached to them and maybe having to at some point in time you know trade from that depth i've talked about previously you know not letting players get to the point where you know their value goes down or you know kind of other teams around the league figure out the value we've seen Leover Pagaro, we've seen Nick Gonzalez we've seen G1 Bay we've seen Aliko Williams at the major league level uh, Sung Che Chang just kind of goes into that that middle infield depth even more now with the performances I mean there were some good things we saw more power from Pagaro saw I feel a little bit more defensive flexibility from a Nick Gonzalez I wasn't sure how he would perform at the shortstop position seeing that scouts and evaluators even before him being drafted after he was drafted as he was coming up through the minor league system thinking that the smartest move would be a move over to second base probably still plays better over there but did show the ability and the range to play at shortstop so I guess the message would kind of be that I mean protect not protect locks to protect for Ben Charrington and company it's been more about how they value the player and knowing that once a player is promoted to the the big league club when they are protected from the rule five draft the likelihood of them getting their shot or at least getting to see what we have of them at the major league level becomes a greater possibility Guys that were left off. Obviously, Jace Bowen is the big one. 
a lot of people pointed to his performance at the Arizona Fall League. The last time I spoke about him when I did the Rule 5 protection plan and, and kind of did a preview of who could have been protected, his numbers were a little bit better in the Arizona Fall League. Didn't end up too terribly. He ended up slashing 290, 355, 500 with four home runs. Strikeout rate was right around where it had been in the minor leagues over the past couple seasons. 24.3%. Base on balls, once again, right where it had been around like 8.1%. They don't have a ton of outfield depth in the minor leagues and especially towards the top of the minor leagues. But looking at Bowen... This isn't saying that he's never going to get his shot. Maybe this is one of those ones where it's he won't be selected, but it definitely shows that, you know, Jace Bowen, at least for the moment, aside from Sung Shea Chang, would not be in the Pirates' plans for 2024. Obviously, that could change due to injury. Next guy left off, left off for the second year in a row, Matt Gorski. As I've talked about previously, really struggled this past season after breaking out in 2022. Once again, just to go over his numbers, I I hate to be a broken record, but from the previous year, went down from 280 in average to 231. On-base percentage dropped from 358 to 291. Slugging went from 598 to 434. Did get over 20 home runs again. Saw the K percentage drop a little bit, but also saw the base on ball percentage. Just not a great year for Matt Gorski and Altoona. The second guy, not protected for the second year in a row. Malcolm Nunez was getting a little bit more push last year from fans, bloggers, podcasters, etc., Mostly, I feel like to a degree because he was the shiny new toy acquired in a trade. Uh, there was the, the Jose Quintana deal that, that got us Johan Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez. Once again, he went down pretty close to the beginning of the season, never really recovered, saw a lot of his numbers drop as well in 2022. He slashed 262, 367, 466 with 23 home runs. A lot of those coming in the St. Louis farm system. Had a 20.9% K rate and a 14% base on ball rate. This year in Indianapolis, slash 249, 338, 379, 8 home runs. 22.1% K rate, not too bad, but did see the base on ball rate drop to 8.8%. I did have one more name for you guys, and it wasn't somebody that I saw brought up really even, I don't know, know if I saw his name brought up at all. I had him written down previously, went back and looked at the story of one Aaron Shortridge if people don't remember the the 2020 alternate site out in Altoona, 
Shortridge was one of the prospects, even though he had not pitched in the upper levels, that was brought to the alternate site, invited to spring training in 2021, unfortunately went under the knife for Tommy John surgery in May of 2021, came back in 2022, uh, pitched 51, or sorry, 55.1 innings, didn't have a great ERA, 488, whip, really not good, 1.663, did spend the entire year in Indianapolis, Indianapolis this season, and once again, like I said, I don't even really remember hearing his name mentioned too much. I mean, you hear, you heard Osvaldo Beto, who is now with Oakland. You heard his name because he was pitching fairly well down there, mentioned a decent amount. He pitched just over 143 innings, 490 ERA. De- did see the whip come down to 1.472. Still not a, a great number. Uh, the FIP is kind of in line with the ERA. A FIP of 4.48 is getting a little bit older. But, I mean, in the Rule 5 draft, if you're looking certain teams just for guys to fill innings, like this could be a very you know, cheap way to do this. And it's also not, you know, we pick him up, we add him to the 40-man and if it is not working out in spring training or at any point in time during the season, he can be offered back to the Pirates. So there's not a ton of risk in that. I'm not saying I see Shortridge being picked, but I mean, some teams will look at his, his former pedigree, look at the injury, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, and they may see something there that may make him a selection at the winter meet. really want to hear about even if the rule five draft is not it's I feel like fans make a a lot bigger a deal of the rule five draft uh, than than it really is like I said before I I look more into the players that are protected because it's showing that you know Ben Sherrington John Baker have confidence in that player but I mean in the Rule 5 draft, there's probably a top 10, and the list isn't very long. Everybody knows about Roberto Clemente, but for the most part, the, the Rule 5 draft is is fairly uneventful. Gave him some examples on a previous show, Akil Badu, uh, Ryan Noda for the Oakland Athletics this past year was a success story at least in 2023. Akil Badu was at least a success story in 2021. But for the most part, you're not finding long-term solutions. 
I mean, Noda still has the ability to do that. I guess Badu has been injured a little bit and could bounce back. I mean, but for the most part, I mean, you're taking these kind of these dart throws on these players, hoping that you can find something, maybe a guy that's been left off due to injury, you can help him rehab, and then maybe get something, you know, more than what you're really giving up, which is not a lot of money and, you know, a 40-man roster spot, a 26-man you know, roster spot during the season. And if you have the ability to hide them, especially that's why arms are usually the ones that are most selected. But for Pirates fans, I've already seen the name out there. Not sure if he would be there when the Pirates are going to select. Obviously, the Pirates could trade and and get that selection from whoever would pick him. There's usually those handshake deals that, hey, this is a guy that we really want. We don't think he's going to be there. Pick him for us. Trade him to us for cash considerations, player to be named later, whatever it would be. But the big name for Pirates fans, and it's because it's an obvious position of needs for the Major League Ball Club, and that is Troy Johnston. First baseman, number two, number 22, MLB pipeline for the Miami Marlins. He mashed this past season. So, I mean, that's probably a, a reason why he would be on there. Uh, Josh Bell, you know, it was a player option, decided to stay in Miami. It was a great situation towards the end there. I mean, obviously, you know, making the playoffs and everything. But in Double uh, A AA and Triple A, between those, with a fairly equal stint between both of them, uh, Johnston slash 307, 399, 549, 26 home runs. Big thing for me on here is that he had an 18% K rate, 10.3% base on ball rate, which was pretty much equivalent to what he had during the previous season mostly spent in double a with a cup of coffee in triple a he had 19.3 percent 10.2 percent uh the the power wasn't as much the batting average wasn't there on base so definitely had a much better season he's 261 344 423 with 14 home runs in 2022 uh, the one thing I looked at with Johnston was that he was drafted as an outfielder, transitioned to first base in 2022, described as having a round average defense. I know that's something that during this past season was kind of punctuated uh, by Ben Charrington with the acquisition. Carlos Santana you know, exceeded expectations. But, you know, it helps everybody to have a good defensive first baseman. But this is a guy that's going to get and has been getting a lot of run on on Pirates social media from fans. So just a name to think about and that's out there. And when I do these things, for some reason, I always go in fives. When I did the Pirates top five uh, prospects, uh, performers, uh, everything for some reason, you know, five guys to look out for, you know, in the upcoming season, prospects at each level. For some reason, I always go to fives. Uh, number two on the list, and these are really in no particular order, 
uh, is from the Tampa Bay Rays, Cole Wilcox, a right-handed pitcher, listed as a number 11 on the MLB pipeline within their system, had Tommy John surgery in 2021, uh, this past year in a double A, had a 523 ERA, a 1.303 whip, uh, didn't have a lot of Ks per nine, was more of a strikeout pitcher previously. Uh, he had an 8.4 Ks per nine, did walk a little bit higher, 3.7 base on balls per nine. People may remember this name. He was part of the Blake Snell trade with San Diego. He was the third rounder for San Diego back in 2020. Has a good fastball slider, changeup. Controls usually pretty good. It's ranked pretty high. Didn't really get it back this year. But a guy coming off Tommy John, a highly regarded prospect, you know, could be somebody on team's radar. Uh, number three, Matt Thompson. He is from the Chicago White Sox system. A right-handed pitcher, number 22 on MLB Pipeline in the White Sox. He was a second rounder. Uh, and he was right out of high school in 2019, given an overslot bonus of $2.1 million. Fairly highly regarded prospect as well. Biggest thing for him is his control issues, and, and that's something that has been evident uh, last year in 2020. I mean, in 2023, he had a 485 ERA and a 1.46 whip in double A. The previous year, high A and double A, a, a 484 and a 1.35 whip. But like I said, the biggest thing for him is control. Hard thrower, has a good curveball, good slider, decent changeup, but he has below average control. Kind of a little bit of a knock on him, but just a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, for the Red Sox, the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, Shane Drohan, left-handed pitcher, number 18 in MLB Pipeline on the Red Sox list. Uh, for him, uh, in 2022, looked a, a lot better. Uh, he was in high A and double A, had a 389 ERA, a 1.26 whip. Uh, and he's a guy that kind of lives on the changeup. It is his best pitch. It's not his obvious main pitch. It's a secondary pitch for him. But seeing a lot of, of swing and miss on that. Uh, but in AA and AAA this year, struggled to a degree, uh, actually a decent degree, a 5.05 ERA and a 1.58 WHIP, and the last guy, number five, and this is one that that kind of stuck out to me a little bit more than the others, uh, and this is Taylor Dollard. He is in the Sierra, Seattle Mariners system, listed as number tw their 21 prospect on MLB Pipeline. He actually missed the majority of last season with labrum surgery. He went down in April of this past season. He was in AAA, obviously, you know, was experiencing some issues with health. So the numbers in a very small sample size 
a 7.56 ERA and a 1.44 WHIP. The one thing I would look at for him though is the previous season in Double A, he had a 2.25 ERA and a 0.95 WHIP. And you don't even really, I guess you want you want to know, but you don't need to know exactly where he is at in this recovery because this would be a kind of a perfect Rule Five candidate in that you could select him, you could bring him back slowly, you could you know have him rehab, you could have him go on rehab assignments, you can kind of like slow walk this. Uh, to a degree and then you know have him on your big league club and then I mean you have to carry him for a certain period of time but it's one of those guys that I mean the decision wouldn't need to be made exactly this year a fairly high pedigree guy a guy who had performed well in in double a in 2022 and came into this season with decently high expectations uh, for the Seattle Mariners, a team that, you know, was looking to compete, could have been a part of that. And the thing for, for him is that a lot of people list is that not a hard throw, thrower, you know, does have, you know, good secondary offerings, but he has well above average control and can kind of pinpoint, you know, where he wants the ball to go. So this would be a guy that I would definitely be keeping an eye on in the rule five. Not sure if, you know, Ben Sherrington doesn't have to use a pick. It's not saying that, you know, you, you have to select somebody in the rule five draft. Uh, hopefully, you know, we get past the point uh, of really wanting to do that, but for teams that are trying to build and to try to find, you know, this talent in other places, the Rule Five draft can always be an excellent place to do that. A pitcher of beer, a pitcher of beer. Let's order another pitcher of beer. That pitcher of beer should come over here. I love that pitcher. I promise you we would be moving on to the Christmas ales. And as I said, Christmas ales are not my favorite beers. They're a little bit heavier, a little bit higher of the alcohol content. If I'm going to have one and enjoy one, it's usually, you know, just have one or two most of the time. One, if you go to a Christmas pop-up bar with the family, you know, I'll kind of order one to be a little bit in the festive mood. We'll move on to the winter warmers, which are more of, you know, my go-to beers during the winter season. But uh, reviewing some pretty big ones here. The first one, Fatheads, Holly Jolly Christmas Ale. Like I said, coming a little bit heavier, 7.5%. And these ones actually, usually like if I rank something, it's been beers that, that I've liked. I mean, I think if you go back and listen, there have been some sours that I'm not a huge sour guy. So actually my average, the weighted, based on batting average, the weighted, the Woboba, will actually go up. And for the Christmas sales, I decided to give it like a little bit of a bump, a 0.25 
uh, bump up. So for the Holly Jolly Christmas Ale from Fatheads, coming in at 400, bump that up to 425. One of the heavy hitters on this list, Trogues, the Mad Elf, coming in at 11%. I mean, I know every year this one is kind of like the follow-up to the the pumpkin. I I as you notice, I don't drink any pumpkin beers. I've had them before. Not really something that I truly enjoy. Maybe next year I'll do some some pumpkin beer reviews. But the Mad Elf is one that comes out and is extremely overpriced in my opinion. But if I was Trogues, I would keep on making it and keep on cashing those checks for the beer but the mad elf coming in at 11 percent uh give that a 375 knock it up to 400 did a new belgian holiday ale coming in at 7.5 percent give that one a 350 mark it up to 375 and the last one is the 21st amendment brewing i don't know if i've ever done any one from there before but i've definitely had their beers it's the Fireside Chat coming in at 7.9%, 3.75 up to 400. And just with the Christmas sales, just one more thing that kind of popped into my head is a lot of times these have like cranberry and spice and and different types of stuff which you know at times when it's done well it can be just like a hint and, and can be good but sometimes i mean to me it can be overwhelming none of these really have that they're just a little bit heavier and wouldn't have as many of them maybe gonna do some more christmas ales next week maybe gonna go out and try to find some winter warmers but one thing can be a guarantee there will be a minor league news and brews coming to you next week uh, for those uh, celebrate happy thanksgiving hope you get to enjoy some time with your family and i'll talk to you next time